0: About two or three weeks ago, I went to get a new phone, a new cell phone, and I ended up getting the one that has Suri, and you talk to Suri, and Suri talks back. Some of you say, I have teenagers who do that, I don't need a phone. So I picked it up last week, and I said, Suri, call Pam. And Suri responded, said, do you want Pam. Or do you want I have another number in there with another Pam? And I'll just use Pam Jones. I said, Do you want Pam or Pam Jones? I said, Suri, I want Pam. Do you want Pam or Pam Jones? I said, Suri, I want Pam. Do you want Pam or Pam Jones? I said, Suri, I want Pam, 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 Pam. Do you want Pam or Pam Jones? I said, Suri, I did this. I said, Suri, are you mentally inca- incapacitated? <laughs> Suri said, let me see. <laughs> no comment. Several years ago, when phones were st- first beginning to use voice recognition, and, th- and this really did happen, I would pick up my phone and I would say, call Jim. The phone would say, calling Tim. And then it would call Pam. Do you ever get to the place where you have extreme disappointment in the fact that you think that you have all the right stuff, only to find out that it's not getting you to where you thought you would be going? You wouldn't end up where you thought you'd end up? So there's this guy who actually is running. He runs to Jesus. Luke, who's an author in in the New Testament, said that he was a ruler, which means he was a member of some kind of council or a court. Matthew says that he was young, meaning that if he was a ruler and he was young, then he was an up-and-comer. He was somebody that had charisma. He really had it together, and he was sweeping through the political realm. We know that he was wealthy. And his peers in those days in first century Judaism thought that those who were wealthy had been extremely blessed by God. So this guy is extremely favored by God. He is an up-and-comer. He is political, politically savvy. He, he is young. He's, he's just He's got all the stuff. And he is a devout Jew. He is extremely religious. And the amazing thing is this, that he runs into Jesus' presence having all the stuff that he needs but he's not sure he's going to make it to where he wants to get. And so this dialogue takes place, recorded by Mark. Mark 17 says this, "'As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. "'Good teacher,' he asked, "'what must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered." No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. This man, this young man, is anticipating a new age. He knows that the day will come when the God who created all of this will bring heaven and earth together. And he's waiting for that because the Scripture says that he will then flood this earth with justice, with mercy, with love, with peace. And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, when God's kingdom comes and his will is done, how do I get to be a part of that? What kind of person must I be right now So that I can get on that thing that is about to happen. What he understands is this. What we expect of the future shapes our present. So Jesus gives him a summary of the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. And the young man says to Jesus, I've done all those. In fact, he has since age 13, the age of accountability. From his bar mitzvah, he has, has begun to do those things and he does them tirelessly. He stays intense on those, but notice that he says, it's still not good enough because I feel like I'm still not going to arrive at that place. What he anticipates is so well described by Bishop N.T. Wright, who says this, God has promised to give the entire world, the whole created order, a complete makeover. It will be renewed from the top to the bottom so that it is filled at last with the presence of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, quoting Isaiah 11.9. And what will happen to us then? We will be given new bodies in which to live with delight and power in God's new world. But what are the steps that lead to this goal? That transformation... We are promised at the end of time has already begun in Jesus. And when God raised Him from the dead, He launched His entire project of new creation and called people of all sorts to be part of that project already here and now. See, somewhere, somewhere in all this churchianity stuff that we've done, we've come to the conclusion that, that following Jesus and doing church is simply this, I've got to keep the rules. And if I break the rules, then I can go back to the scripture says that says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all impurity. I messed up, he forgave me, now I'll keep the rules. I messed up, he'll forgive me, I kept the rules. I messed up, he'll forgive me, I kept the rules. And I'll keep doing that, cycling through that until Jesus comes and changes the whole creation. And, and by the way, while I'm doing that, he wants me to help a couple other people get on that same journey and lead them the same direction. I mean, that's what, that's, that's what this guy was believing. If I keep the rules, I'm okay. And if I don't keep the rules, I will go to the temple and give my sacrifice. My sacrifice will cover my sins, and then I'll try to keep the rules. And as I'm doing that, I'll try to proselytize some people in the process. And Jesus says, you're not getting it. Here's how Jesus directs this young man. Mark records Jesus' response, Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him... And did what? He loved him. So this this isn't an angry response. This is an incredible, compassionate response. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, what? Follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus crashes this guy this guy's party. He says, if you want to be complete, I need for you to get rid of your riches, and I need you to give them to the poor, and I need you to just come with me and trust me and follow me. What's up with that? If you'd go back to this chapter in which the story is told, and Mark puts this strategically, you'll find at the beginning of the chapter that there is this, this confrontation regarding divine intention for male-female relationships. If you go to the end of that chapter, you'll find there's this divine confrontation about divine intention of human power. In 50 verses, money, sex, and power are recalled back to God's divine intention. And he's saying the intention is not that you follow all the rules. Rules won't get you there. See, we think if we follow the rules, then God will show up. Jesus says God is already here and he's waiting for God is already here and he's waiting for you to show up. The one that he created in his own image, the one that looks like God and the one that acts like God and we say but 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 look at me I'm I'm, I'm not that way. He said exactly and rules won't get you there. What you need is a transformation from the inside out because rules are only exterior. What we need to deal with is what's inside here. A transformation of your character. So Jesus says, forget the rules, let go of everything else, and come follow me, and I will show you how to live now for the future you're anticipating, so when that future arrives, you are already a citizen of what's coming now. So last week, there's a good chance that many of you in this place sat in front of the TV and watched the New York Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. One of the key plays of of that whole entire event was an incredible pass play from Eli Manning to Mario Manningham. I want to show it to you. I think we've got it. Four-man rush. Eli throwing into traffic on the sideline. They're going to roll a catch by Manningham. This is absolutely brilliant. If he makes this play, let's watch his feet. Clean kick. And remember, there is no force out. So you have to make the catch cleanly and get both feet down in bounds. Contact doesn't matter at all. Even if you're contacted out of bounds, it used to be. That was a force out. Those rules are gone. Does he have possession? And does he keep both feet in bounds? is I the question. Possession of the ball all the way to the ground as far as I saw it. There's possession. One foot down, two right. feet down. Looks like he has it. Now, I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice exactly where that pass arrived and how Mario got his feet down exactly where they needed to go. You say, well, what's that have to do with anything? Here's the deal. Later in an interview with Eli Manning, they asked him about that throw, and he said, we have practiced that pass time time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And when we saw the opening, he said muscle memory took over and it was just boom, it was done. Didn't even think about it because it was second nature. There is an author, you may have heard of him, his name is Shakespeare. And in his famous Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 3, lines 78 through 80, here's what he says. This above all. To thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night and the day. Thou cannot then be false to any man. Great line. To your own self be true. But what if your true self, your first nature? What if, what if my true self, my first nature is to rip you off? Or to, to terrorize villages? Or to have sleepovers with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? Or decide that I'm going to slap everybody who wears green on St. Patrick's Day. What's wrong with that? Jesus says, here's the issue for you, Mr. Rich Man. Your first nature is not going to cut it. You need a second nature. We must develop a second nature. And it's simply this, he said, I want you to follow me and do what I do over and 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 over until it becomes your second nature, until it becomes moral muscle memory, till it's just there all the time, so that you don't lose your temper all the time, because that is first nature, but instead you are compassionate because it's become second nature. Jesus said, I want you to put on the second nature. Paul, we discussed several weeks ago, said put on this new self, second nature. You put on this that's God created, which is a new attitude, which is a new behavior pattern, which, which is a new way of controlling emotion. He said, I want you to put that on yourself. Because it's Jesus' way of doing it. You I mean, watch Jesus. The whole time in Holy Week, we read about it, and Jesus is beaten, and his beard's plucked out, and they beat him so badly that it said you couldn't even tell it was a man. And not once did he curse them or call for their destruction because it wasn't his nature. He hangs on a cross... And His words are, Father, forgive them. The worst death anyone could live, uh, could die at the worst death ever. And He says, Father, forgive them. Why? Because it is His nature. And He said, I want you to put that nature, my first nature, becomes your second nature. Jesus wants that first nature to become the second nature of a community. We talked about community the last four weeks. And we, and we talked about the fact that there are some, some principles on dealing with each other that we need to live out, and, and we're going to make that the way that we communicate with each other. And I think we have the slide back up here. Let's see it. And I want you to say these with us because this is the way that we are living now as community. So say it with me. I don't need to be first. I don't need to be right. I don't need to bail out, and I don't need to spotlight your faults. Now, the key to this is not that you got those memorized, but that they are taking root inside of us so that they become second nature, that they become our moral muscle memory so that when we have crisis, I don't cuss you out, smack you down, steal your stuff, kiss your wife, or lose my faith. Instead, I respond in the same way that Jesus responds. So Jesus says to this guy, I want you to have a second nature and I want you to develop this, this moral muscle memory And I want you to do that by getting rid of all that stuff you have, and I want you to come follow me. See, follow Jesus and repeatedly live his teachings is what Jesus is telling him. You've got to do this. Let it become part of who you are. And he says no. See, here's the problem. Not only does he have to get rid of his wealth, which gives him affluence and influence, Jesus said, come follow me, which means give up your political stature, give up your reputation, give everything that's been your identity up to this point, let it all go. And he's not sure he can trust Jesus to give him a new identity, so he doesn't go there. That word transformation is the word metamorphosis. And and I don't know much about butterflies and caterpillars, except what I've read, and it simply is this, that when the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and begins to be changed into the butterfly, it loses what it formerly looked like, and it's not yet what it will become, and it's just this massive gel. It has no identity. But it must stay in that cocoon until it is formed into that beautiful butterfly, and then it arrives. And Jesus is saying, when you want to walk with me and you want to follow me, I'm telling you this, you're going to lose your former identity. And you will not even know yet what your new identity will be because at one moment, I will take everything from you and you'll just have me so that I can reform you into what you need to be, which means you've just got to trust that you're following me and it's going to be okay. This guy walked away. He said, I can't do that. And after he'd gone, Jesus turned to his followers and said, it's really tough for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he said it's impossible. But then he said, but but with me all things are possible. Did you know that 17 of the 38 parables Jesus taught dealt with possessions? Did you know that the Scripture has 2,172 times in the Scriptures possessions are dealt with? That's three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, eight times more than faith. Fifteen percent of the Holy Scripture deals with possessions. Why? Why? because our heart goes where our treasure goes. That was the problem with the rich young ruler. He he couldn't do that. You want your heart transformed? I want my heart transformed? Then I have to have the way that I deal with possessions transformed. It's the only way. It's not in your notes, but there's this wonderful passage that Jesus describes our treasure. And he says this in Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. For store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And I want you to read that last line with me. Read it out loud. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man. The most cherished treasure will subtly but infallibly control our direction and our values. Because here's the problem. This guy wanted his heart connected to God, but his heart was going this way while God's heart was going this way, and Jesus was trying to get him back over, and he wouldn't follow. Tuesday of this next week is what? That was mostly women who said that. So, listen, guy, the, your girlfriend might have her heart sitting at Alta Cucina Italian restaurant for romantic dinner. That's where her heart is. And your money's over at the mud wrestling tournament at Bubba's Bar and Grill. Now, don't go look. And There is not a Bubba's Bar and Grill. You're not going to find where that is. So I'm going to tell you right now, if that's the case, if your resources are there and her heart's over there, you're not going to meet. It's not going to happen. It won't get there. He said, I I want my heart with you, Jesus. And, And so the question is, okay, where's your stuff? Because your heart's with your stuff, and his stuff's in his pocket, not where Jesus wanted it, because Jesus wanted his stuff with the poor, because that's where the heart of Jesus was, and if you'd have put his heart, if you put his, his stuff where Jesus is, his heart would have followed, and the hearts would have connected. See, even when Jesus is present, please hear me, when Jesus is present around us, sometimes we miss him because of what we do with our possessions. I mean, you, you know, you've followed in the news this whole Occupy thing that's been happening in the United States and around the, around the world. I want to show you a picture from Occupy London. As a guy dressed up like Jesus said, "I threw out the money lenders for a reason." See, I'm not talking about Occupy right now. I'm talking about the fact that that's exactly true. Jesus was in the temple. God was in his temple, and they didn't even see it because they were so wrapped with their possessions. That's why Jesus turned it over. They were so corrupt with their possessions. The possessions were not going to the poor. In fact, they were, were stealing from the poor. Jesus said, "You want our hearts to be together?" Then I have a plan for you." See, the young ruler wanted his heart with God's and Jesus said, well, here's the secret. Jesus said, follow me and deposit your stuff where I am. Do that. It'll work out for you. So Jesus tells a story at another time about this manager who's not been doing a good job and so the master, the owner. Hears about it and is going to fire him. He finds out that he's going to be fired. And so what he does, he says, man, I'm just too weak to dig and, and I'm just, I'm just too proud to beg. So he says, I'll figure this thing out. I will make it so that the people who owe my master will so like me that when I'm fired, they'll take me into their homes. So he calls in one of the people who owes his master. He owes, he owes 800 gallons of, of olive oil. And he says to the guy who owns it, he says, hey, you owe 800, mark it down to 400. Just go. And the guy says, man, I'll not forget this. brings in a guy that owes a 1,000 bushels of wheat, and he says, mark it down 20%. He said, that is so great. And, and really, what's going to happen is when he gets fired, those people are going to say, hey, man, you've been great. Just come on in. The master finds out, as Jesus tells the story, the master finds out, and you'd be surprised how the master responded. Luke records this, Luke 16. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. So here's a lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Jesus said this is not about dishonesty. It's about what this guy figured out. So so I I hold in my hand a $100 bill. And here's what Jesus says You don't know how long you're going to have that. So you better be sure that you've invested it where you think it'll do the best. Because somebody could steal this. Somebody could tell you that it's it's been devalued and it's no longer worth $100 anymore. Your, Your retirement fund just dried up, Wall Street panicked. Somebody broke in your house, stole all your jewelry. The thing that you thought had so much value now has been devalued. It's gone. He said, listen, the stuff you've got in your pocket now, the things that's in your savings account, all of that stuff, you don't have any idea how long that's going to last. So be very wise what you do with it right now. And he said, here's what you do. You invest it where Jesus is. So that when you enter into heaven, into that forever land, and there will be one. Make it so that people welcome you because of your resourcefulness. How you changed people. So that somebody will come up to you and say, do you know when you sacrificed that and you invested in Royal Family Kids Camp, I was one of those kids you changed. changed my life. Do you know that that when I was out of work and, and you came and you kept giving me groceries for, for months out of your own pocket, do you know what that did for me? Do you know that when you sacrificed what you did and you got, you got formula down to Haiti, I was one of those children that was fed because of that formula and I grew up strong and I knew it was because of people who loved Jesus and I found Jesus and it changed my life? He said, take that which may not last very long, and put it where it belongs. Live now for what is yet to come by investing what you really don't own. Possessions are a tool to advance God's kingdom. That's why we have them. So this morning, I have a $100 bill. And so I've been asking Jesus this morning who I should give this to. You go, well, really? Absolutely. And so, I'm coming to you. And so, I want you to hold that a minute. Because here's the deal. You say, wow, that is so great. But that's what God does. He says, here, take that. Now you have an obligation. The obligation is, is either this, that you've been praying because you have a need and God and saying, God, how am I going to take care of that? And God this morning said, there you go. Use that for that need. Or he's saying to you, Someone else has a need, but you're going to be the carrier of that, and I want you to take it to them. But you're obligated to figure out what it is that God wants you to do with that $100. You say, but, well, whoa, man, I wish you'd give me $100. Well, here's the deal. You got a paycheck. You got something. You say, yeah, but but that's mine. Oh, no, it's not yours. Not any more than that $100 was theirs before I gave it to them because God is the provider of all resources. He gave that to you, and when he gave it to you, he said, you got to do this. Now listen, you either got to know that it's because you had needs and use it for that, or because someone else has needs and you've got to give it to them, but you've got to do what is right with what I've given you. You say, but it's mine. No, it's not. Jesus continues, and here's what he says in Luke 16. If you are faithful in little things... You'll be faithful and large. And that word faithful simply means if you are trustworthy and you understand the intent of what was given to you and you follow through with that intention, you give it. Otherwise, he says, if you are dishonest in little things, you'll be, you, you won't you will be honest with greater responsibilities. That word dishonest means to be unjust or to be treacherous with what was given you. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? the true riches of heaven. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, now catch that, not your stuff, but other people's things, because what you got in your hand is not yours. Why should you be trusted with things of your own? See, the bottom line is this, that what God gives us in possessions is not ours. But it is to be invested. And God said, if I can trust you in the investment process, I will give you more here on earth. But, but especially when you arrive in heaven, I will have gifts and rewards waiting for you. You say, really? He's going to do that? Absolutely. He talks about it all the time. What will those be? I don't know what those are going to be. But think of the person that you know that gives the best gifts. Ah, oh, that's so great. They gave me These are wonderful gifts. Just think who God, who created goodness, what he will give you in reward. See, so I have no idea what that means, but I'm just gonna you know when we see it, we're gonna go, oh my God, and really mean it. Because that's him. And what he did just, just blows our minds. He said, invest now so that you get that stuff. Because the stuff that you keep here will die. It will rust. It will corrupt. But the stuff he's giving you when you arrive there will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. See, possessions are a test with future consequences. See, God gives us the stuff, and then He watches. He wants to know whose kingdom we're playing in here. Who are we committed to? And how we deal with that stuff will determine what He gives to us now here on earth, if we're trustworthy, and secondly, what He's going to give us in heaven. So in the next two weeks, the next two Sundays, we're going to deal with how God can trust us with the stuff He's given us? And secondly, how do we posture ourselves to be blessed by Him for doing the right thing, allowing Him to transform us so that we see it the way that He sees it? There were a couple who were part of this church for several years, came here to go to Likam. And some of you remember the story. They're from the Dominican Republic. And so they came and and we were spending some time as they first got here and they were worshiping with us and and she said to me, Pastor, she said, you know what this is going to cost us and and I'm going to give you round numbers here, she said, $95,000 and we don't have it. And I thought, well, baby, don't ask me because I don't got it either. And she said, but God told us to come here, and we're trusting Him, but we don't have it, but He told us He would give it to us before we leave. So she said, what I'm using are the principles that God has shown me about possessions, and we're going to talk a little about those principles in the next couple of weeks. And so she began to do these principles she, on, a, on a regular basis. She'd used these principles, these laws of God, giving and receiving, the possessions. And she said to me halfway through this, she said, Pastor... The day will come that I walk in with a check of $95,000. And she said, and when I do, you have to dance. I said, I will. About a month or so before he was to graduate and leave pharmacy school, she walked in on a Sunday and she said, Pastor. She held up a check, $95,000. I said, how? Where? Where? She said, from an estate settlement we knew nothing about, but here it is. Now you must dance. (laughs) I did. She began to understand the principles of possessions. She began to understand laws of blessing that most of us don't use. And see, for many of us, this kind of transformation... This kind of character transformation is going to take a while because we are so caught up with the culture. But we begin to change by understanding this. The possessions are are the trademark of who made us. See, when my, when my friends see my uses of possessions, they're going to say one or two things. They're either going to say, he's caught up with the culture, with, with what's happening in the culture and, 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 and the whole, I deserve this, I, I need this, I, I want this. Or they're going to see... Look how he loves his God. You say, well, can't you do both? Listen to what Jesus says, Luke sixteen thirteen: No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The actual word there is, is mammon, which has the root meaning of that in which I have confidence. He said you either have confidence in God or you have confidence in your possessions, but you can't have both. So I grew up as a baby boomer. As a baby boomer, I grew up during the Reagan years and everything, and just, you know, stuff. We had the riches and, and the economy was great. And, and, and we grew up with, you know, we deserve this thing. Our fathers had gone through, through the, the Depression and through World War II where they just really worked hard. But baby boomers, man, we just thought, hey, we got it. We deserve this. Give me more. And it filtered into churches, mega churches, and, well, we've got to have the best. And, and, and it went even into a gospel called the prosperity gospel, which I really have trouble with because if Jesus said all this stuff corrupts, why should he give it to us now? He said, the stuff is out there in the future you want to invest in. So I had to, I've had to go through and, and in the process of still God dealing with me, transforming me into understanding how his possession principles work. I've been watching my kids and I'm learning a lot from my kids. My son Dustin, as many of you that have been here for a long time know, went through a really rebellious state for seven years. And we've told the story before with his permission. And he was pretty selfish, pretty self focused, until he decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus began to transform his character, which also transformed his view of possessions. So right now, Dustin is a minimalist. He just doesn't believe that possessions are important except when God wants them invested. So, several years back when he was in Bible college, he was walking across the square in Springfield, Missouri, and there was a homeless guy sitting there, so Dustin sat down next to him. Dustin doesn't have much, but he sat down next to the guy, and they started talking. He said, well, tell me your story. So the guy told him the story and said, where are you headed, and and what do you have? And Dustin said, well, come with me. So Dustin took him to his dorm room, and Dustin opened up his closet. and didn't have much, but he said, here, take whatever you want. inside of me, I said, Dustin, you didn't give him like the good shirts, did you? I mean, we just sent those shirts to you. Yeah, Daddy took dress shirts. I said, what does a homeless guy need with dress shirts? He liked them. Dad, chill. See, what Dustin learned was that there is disappointment when you think you have the right stuff and you don't end up where you want to be. But but what he's learning is the absolute freedom of letting go of your stuff and finding you're exactly where you want to be. You're looking for God? Then find Jesus and put your stuff where Jesus is. And according to the law, your heart will follow that map and end up right where Jesus is. May it be so for all of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now let me give you a practical application. If you're visiting with us today, this is not for you. But if you just sit with us a moment, it won't take me very long to do this. So I've been thinking about possessions, and I've been thinking about all this stuff, and I recently read through the book of Haggai. He's a prophet he comes to Jerusalem, and he's speaking to the people in Jerusalem about the temple that's just been devastated and worn down. Now listen to me as I quote what Haggai said on behalf of the Lord. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, "'It is time for you, you yourselves to be living in your panel. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin?' Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house, therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So here's what I think. Several decades ago, this community of faith prayed and fasted, and God said, go up to that place on Oliver Road and build this building. And I believe they heard from God. So now the economy has changed, and things have switched, and things are tough, and it's tough maintaining a facility like this. And so I have been guilty. I have been so guilty of saying just under my breath and to other people, if somebody came up and offered me X amount of dollars, I would just sell the place and we move someplace else. And I feel like God rebuked me this last week. I felt like He said, who are you to say what I want? Did they not hear from me? And so I ask your forgiveness for speaking those words. But here's what I think God is saying. I think God is saying... That if this is the place that he wants to honor him, because we're not in the buildings, we're in the people, but if this is the place that has been dedicated to him, because it has been dedicated to him, check the cornerstone, it's dedicated to him. Then it, it, The way I look at it is if, if God doesn't want us to have this, then we should all just rise up and sell it and move to wherever He wants us to be as a community of faith. If He has a purpose for this place, then we need to say, it's been devoted to you, so we need to take care of it. So here's the principle. The principle is this. Shall I take care of my house and make it good when I don't take care of God's house and make it good? Because it's devoted to Him. And so I'm going to ask you to join with me and elders and pastors and people and... And begin the process of asking God to use us to take care of this place. You say, it looks good. Have you seen the parking lot? When it's covered in snow, it's great. Take the snow off, and and we found three buses in one hole last week. It's just... And so all I'm telling you is this. Would you join us? And, And we're going to start with the parking lot because that's the thing that just desperately needs it. This is God's parking lot. Say, but it's a building I know. And you know what? It's just so much easier and, and more compassionate for us to send money to, to some, uh, an orphanage in Haiti. It's great, but I want you to understand that God is also speaking to us and saying, you devoted this to me. What are you going to do with it? This belongs to me. Will you let it just continue? And so I'm just saying to you that you had joined Pam and me, and in, in your bulletin you found a, a card called Pave-A-Lot. And just, so we're going to start calling Pastor Don, who's trying to keep this organized, so Sir Pave-A-Lot. And, and what we're just going to ask you to do is and we're going to just say we, we, we figured out the first $200,000, what it's going to take to get the, most of this covered in, in the front part. And fixed. And so we divided that by how many parking spaces. And we've just decided, recognized it's like $335 a parking space. So we're going to ask you to look at it and say, yeah, I can, in the next several months between now and May, I, I can pay, I'm going to ask God to help me pay for a parking space or two or three or some of you can do more than that. But I'm going to ask you to do that for you. And then by faith, say, God, I'm praying that somebody who doesn't know you will come park in the spot that I'm buying here and they'll come to know you. So we're not going to pressure you. This is not a capital campaign. This is just a thing that says, we got to do this, and would you join me in doing it? Would you take those, some of your possessions and make them in a place that will honor God so that when you realize you're paying for a parking space, you go, Brr. no, instead you say, God, I'm honoring you because it is an expression of worship to, to make that which we've devoted to Him excellent for Him. And so I'm going to ask you to do that. Bring the card back next week. Just put it in the offering. And so that we have an idea of where we're headed and what we're doing. No one's going to call you and say, hey, you said blah, blah, blah. No, it's it's your way. Because I've noticed this. When I don't sign something or, or say something to someone, I can renege on what I thought I was going to do. But if I say this is what God's telling me or what I want to do with God's help, then just fill it out, sign it, and then we just keep them... And just say, God, here it is. Please make this happen in people's lives. And we'll find that if God can trust us with what the little he's given us, that we invest it in the right spots, he will give us more. And so I I hope you take that as a challenge and that we'll see what God's going to do. You with me? Again, just ladies. Stand. Stand. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Drive careful.